0: Welcome to this weekly audio digest edition of The National, from the 24th of February to the 27th of February 2020, read by volunteers at Cure and Review, print speaking to the blind, recorded at our studios at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre. Here are the headlines. Scotland braced for snow barrage. Scotland's rural parts to reap benefits of 5G.
1: Free outline plans to boost mobile cover across country. R&A Chief Martin Slumbers urges golf to embrace
0: change. Reports link question time, row woman to far-right organisations. Call for BBC to explain selection procedure. Rise in Scots
2: domestic abuse cases. Concern after 2% increase in incidents.
1: SNP MSP Gail Ross announces her exit from Holyrood in 2021.
0: First Minister insists she will lead SNP into 2021 vote and beyond. Sturgeon is still working towards holding NUF2 this year. One-fifth of Scots firms could close on the UK immigration plan. Small businesses warned that the recruitment could be a struggle. Fight for independence won't be won in London. Boris Johnson urged to help end humanitarian catastrophe in Syria. Kids under 12 banned from heading ball. New rules introduced following Scottish research into impact on footballers. SNP MPs now need to spend more time on the home front. Half of voters want Andrea 2 in the next five years. Poll finds
1: yes is unstoppable. Harris Tweed business weaves pathway
0: to success after support. Old laptop sparks fire at Invergordon School. Council bans staff from using similar machines. Pato's version of the future is bleak and here's why, it's doomed to fail. Skilled or unskilled, the truth is that the rate of technological advancement will likely make it indefinable. The National, Monday, February 24th, 2020. News, Scotland braced for snow barrage. This article is by Martin Hannon. With much of the country still recovering from last week's floods and disruption, the Met Office yesterday issued further yellow warnings of snow affecting much of Scotland. The areas covered by the warnings are Central Scotland, Tayside and Fife, Grampian Highlands and Elanian Sire, South West Scotland, the Lowlands Borders and Strathclyde. The warnings will remain in force until 10pm tonight and the Met Office has warned that the snow may bring disruption, especially on high ground. There could be possible travel delays on roads, stranding some vehicles and passengers, and possible delays or cancellations to rail and air travel. Some rural communities could become cut off and power cuts may occur while other services such as mobile phone coverage may be affected. There are still four flood alerts in place in Scotland and 10 flood warnings. The Scottish Environmental Protection Agency had initially issued many more alerts and warnings but these have gradually been lifted. The area between Callander and Stirling and between Aviemore and Grandtown are still subject to flood warnings as is Balloch and Alexandra in western Bartonshire. Should there be much more rain across the UK later in the week, it is highly likely that a new rainfall record for February will be set. There has been an average of 5.5 inches of rain across the UK so far, short of the 7.6 inches recorded in 1990, with the second highest figure of 6.6 inches set in 1990. Dan Surrey, chief forecast, at the Met Office said, a relatively deep area of low pressure system on Monday provides a continuation of the extremely unsettled period of the UK has endured. Despite reports to the contrary, this system hasn't been named and there is no plan to do so currently, despite some speculation on social media. This article is by Martin Hannon. The National, Wednesday, February
2: 26, 2020. News Scotland's rural parts to reap benefits of 5G. Free outline plans to boost mobile cover across country. This article is by Greg Russell. Mobile operator Free UK has said rural users in Scotland will also reap the benefits of 5G, the fifth generation of wireless technology for digital networks. It is planning to deploy over the coming years. The company head of radio, Anil Darjee, was speaking to The National in Glasgow where he was discussing its future plans with council bosses. He said, Fee was looking to make a massive investment in the city. It has more than 150 sites in the greater Glasgow area and plans for 25 more, all of which would see the 5G deployed in the next three years. The four main operators have been discussing coverage problems in rural areas since they started working on a shared network in 2018. Darje said that as well as deploying 5G, there was also upgrading its 4G network by 150% which is where the rural benefits would be seen. We are looking to build an additional 350 sites in Scotland to address those rural areas. It's all about delivering certain geographic coverage to really cover those areas it's a 4G improvement. The 4G in itself is really good for rural, in that the service rates you get are the same as you'd get in the centre of town. It already has many people using the same spectrum, whereas if you deploy that same spectrum in rural areas, you really get good benefits. He added, it's about deploying the right technology in the right area to address the needs." Darjei said that Free was the only UK network with more than 100 megahertz of 5G spectrum which put it up to four times ahead of the others in terms of capability that brings. Traditionally we've had the least amount of spectrum, we were the last to depart. We launched in 2003 with a limited spectrum and we've always been the challengers. We introduced new capability without customers having to pay for more so when 4G was launched we were the first to do it at no additional cost. It's the same for 5G, it's an no additional cost and it'll work on your current sim as long as you have a 5G handset. With faster download speeds and plans to introduce a home broadband service, essentially 5G wireless connectivity for homes and offices, Darge said that the company's offering had been driven by consumer demand. He added, if we go back say 4 or 5 years, the average customer was downloading say one gigabyte a month. Now that same customer Is doing 10 gigabytes so to support that demand we need to be deploying more and more technology and more and more spectrum so this is really about trying to support customer need this article is an exclusive by
1: Greg Russell this is the national on the 27th of February 2020 R&A chief Martin slumbers urges golf to embrace change by Nick Roger golf correspondent. When it comes to change, golf has never been the quickest pursuit to embrace it. At times it dodders along with all the surging forward impetus of Grandpa Brun when his bunions are playing up. We probably haven't embraced it as much as we should, conceded Martin Slumbers, the chief executive of the RNA, of the need for the game to move with the changing times. In golfing circles, we tend to go round in circles. Conversations about flexible membership structures, encouraging families and juniors, relaxing dress codes or playing shorter forms of the game have been taking place for years. They are certainly not new issues, but often get treated as if they have just suddenly looped out from behind a curtain like the bogeyman. The planned closure of various municipal courses in Glasgow and Ayrshire and the demise of some well-established clubs around the country has highlighted the dire straits into which certain golfing facilities have been plunged. Doom and gloom? Well, perhaps not quite. By his own admission, Slumbers is a massive optimist and while membership numbers are certainly nosediving, he remains encouraged by the figures for golf consumption in less traditional ways. The traditional way of looking at the health of golf in Great Britain and Ireland is the number of golf club members and that's about a million golfers he said. But if you look at how many people consume golf, whether that's 18 hole, 9 hole golf, at driving ranges, on par 3 courses, at adventure golf, all those places, then that group in GB and Ireland is 10.2 million. It's also a group that is much more diverse and much younger. There are only two sports in Great Britain and Ireland that have more people who participate in it if you look at golf that way, and that is swimming and the gym. Now, let's say, because we're all a bit cynical, half of them don't think they're playing golf. That's still five million. The question is, why aren't those five million joining golf clubs? I would argue it's because the golf clubs are not providing a product those people want to buy, so we have to change grassroots is going to struggle unless the game changes. There's a market five times the size of existing membership today that is more diverse and it's younger and that's our opportunity and we have to break down the traditional barriers to be able to embrace it. You go to clubs which deliver non-traditional forms of the game and they're busy. There are probably too many delivering exactly the same product. As the historic custodians of the worldwide game the R&A has pledged to invest twice as much money into golf over the next 10 years as it did in the decade just ended plenty of Slumber's focus during his tenure has been on exploiting the value of the open in order to generate the funds that can be plowed back into the game i think the next phase will be much more about participation he added I've surprised myself about how passionate I am about participation and it's because I do truly love this game. The world we live in now, people want choice. If you want to go to a club which has a lot more choice in their membership policies and the way they do it, then guess what, they've got quite a lot of members. It's all about connecting with people in today's world. Your whole business is about connecting and golf is no different. If you just confine yourself to a small group, you're only going to be talking to a small group. Clubs that are family orientated, have fitness facilities, creches, coffee shops, Wi-Fi, have no dress code, have a short par 3 course or 9-hole course. Those are the ones that are going to succeed. And that article was by Nick Roger, golf
0: correspondent. The National. Monday, February 24th, 2020. News. Reports link Question Time row woman to far-right organisations. Call for BBC to explain selection procedure. This article is by Andrew Leomonth. BBC bosses have been urged to explain the selection process on Question Time after an audience member who went on a racist rant was linked to far-right groups. Reports over the weekend suggested the woman who made the anti-immigrant remarks had twice stood for election for the National Front and is currently an enthusiastic supporter of Tommy Robinson, the founder of the English Defence League. The row stems from last Thursday's edition of The Politics Show, when the woman sitting in the middle of the front row spoke for 75 seconds, calling on the UK to close its borders completely. Alarmingly, the programme then clipped the entire rant and shared it on their social media accounts. Without any correction or fact-checking, it has now been watched nearly 7 million times. Former footballer Stan Colley-Moore, who has been at the receiving end of the vicious racist abuse for years, tweeted the show asking them to confirm whether the lady on the front row of the last episode was twice a National Front candidate. He also asked the producers to let the public know the criteria for ordinary audience members and who books them. Unusually, the BBC have so far remained stum, passing requests for comments on to Mentorn, the Scottish firm responsible for making Question Time. Previously, the corporation had been quick to defend the programme. Over the weekend, SNP MP Tommy Shepherd penned a letter to BBC bosses to complain. He wrote, Question Time used to use their social media outlets to live fact-check contributions from panellists and the audience, as well as giving context to each question asked by the audience. He added, Rather than carelessly clipping these inflammatory contributions on immigration, I suggest that Question Time looks to reinstate the more informative and engaging fact-checking as part of their social media strategy. The woman's contribution came during a debate on chronic understaffing in social care because of the UK government's planned immigration reforms. She said, at what stage do the panel and people think that this country has had enough? that we should close the borders, completely close the borders, because it's got to the stage now where there's no education, the schooling infrastructure, it's enough. We are sinking. Surely someone's got to see common sense and say enough is enough, she claimed. Before carrying on for another minutes or so, far exceeding the usual time given over to an audience contribution, Nassar Mir, Professor of Race, Identity and Citizenship at the University of Edinburgh, described the statement from the audience member as an Incitement to racial hatred, he said. It seems profoundly inappropriate that that is shared as a window into a programme. The BBC shouldn't be a vehicle for this. A spokesperson for the show uh, said the debates featured a range of views. This article is by Andrew Leomont. The National. Wednesday, February 26,
2: 2020. News in Scots domestic abuse cases. Concern after 2% increase in incidents. This article is by Tom Jarvis. More than 60,000 incidents of domestic abuse were recorded by the police in 2018 to 2019, according to the latest Scottish government figures. The 60,461 figure marks a 2% increase on the 2017 and seventeen and eighteen numbers, which were f- fi- 59,541, but is described in the official publication as relatively stable since 2011 and twelve, with around 58,000 to the 61,000 incidents a year. In comparison, the figure in 2008 to 2009 was 53,931. Across the country, in 2018 to 2019, the most incidents recorded pair 10,000 population were in Dundee City, 157, followed by Western Bartonshire, 148, and Glasgow City, 147, Shelton, 52, and East Refonshire, 54, had the lowest rates. Around 41% of incidents recorded in that year included at least one crime or offence, with the most frequent being common assault. Accounting for 36% of all crimes and offences recorded, each of the peace accounted for 29%. In an instance where gender information was recorded, 4 in every 5 domestic abuse incidents had a female victim and a male accused. Justice Secretary Hamza Yosef pictured said domestic abuse exacts a terrible toll on victims and often causes much wider harms such as impacting on children's safety and well-being within family home. While well, these figures are for the year, before our domestic abuse laws came into force, the passage of that legislation in 2018 alongside police Scotland's every 9 minutes campaign helped raise awareness of this insidious crime and its many facets and encourage people to report their experiences. He added, Domestic abuse is neither acceptable nor inevitable. We must work collectively, as parents, friends, co-workers and legislators, to bring an end to this blight on society. Address underlying attitudes that enable it to persist, call out those who dismiss or minimise its impact and ensure that perpetrators are dealt with robustly and efficiently. The figures come the day after Police Scotland announced more than 1,300 cases of domestic abuse had been recorded since the Domestic Abuse Act came into effect in April 2019. Assistant Chief Constable Duncan Sloan said, Domestic abuse is despicable and debilitating crime which continues to affect too many people, families and communities across Scotland. We are continually improving our response to domestic abuse including developing a workplace culture." where there is no tolerance for domestic abuse and maximising the opportunities now available to us to bring abusers to justice. Our officers are making best use of the new domestic abuse offence. I would expect that we will see an increase in the number of crimes recorded going forward, recognising the incidence of coercive and controlling behaviours that are now criminal as a result of the Domestic Abuse Act. It is not acceptable, not inevitable and we believe that by working together we can make it stop. This article is by
1: Tom Jarvis. This is The National on the 27th of February 2020. SNP MSP Gail Ross announces her exit from Holyrood in 2021. By Tom Jarvis. SNP MSP Gail Ross will step down at the Holyrood election having served only a single term. The Caithness, Sutherland and Ross MSP said her reason for leaving was her family. It will make her the fourth SNP MSP to announce their exit in 2021. She said the decision has been reached due to the demands of travelling to Edinburgh and being away from home for sometimes five days a week, every week. A former Highland councillor who came to Holyrood in 2016, she was frustrated by the demands of travelling to Edinburgh, saying that MSPs attending committees via video link has to be considered. Bruce Crawford in Stirling, James Dornan in Glasgow-Cathcart and Richard Lyle in Uddingston and Bells Hill are also leaving next year. Ross said, I want to be able to spend more time with my family, to watch my son grow up and to be more involved in local issues, things I cannot presently do. The sheer size of the area I represent also means that I'm having difficulty in reaching every part of the constituency on a regular basis, and I'm not able to represent my constituents in the way they deserve and rightly expect. I recently asked the Standards, Procedures and Public Appointments Committee to ask if there is any possibility that members could video into meetings and remote vote. If we are to encourage into politics more young people with families who live far away from Edinburgh, this has to be considered. It's not been an easy decision to make and I wish to sincerely thank everyone who has supported me in my journey through Council and then Parliament. It's been a huge privilege to represent the place where I grew up and although the job has sometimes been very challenging, these years have been some of the most rewarding of my professional career. My drive for independence is stronger than ever and I will continue work to make sure that all families can grow and prosper in an independent
0: Scotland. And that article was by Tom Jarvis. The National. Monday, February 24th, 2020. Politics. First Minister insists she will lead SNP into 2021 votes and beyond. Sturgeon is still working towards holding NUF2 this year. This article is by Andrew Learmonth. Nicola Sturgeon has insisted she will lead the SNP into the next Hollywood election, describing speculation around her departure as overblown. The First Minister also told the BBC's Andrew Marr show yesterday that she was still working towards holding NUF2 by the end of this year. Downing Street have rejected the First Minister's request for a Section 30 order which would allow Holyrood to hold a legally watertight referendum. Sturgeon said it was wrong to say that this meant as her MP Angus McNeil had suggested that the Plan A case for a new vote had hit a brick wall. Support for independence is rising, she said, pointing to a recent polls showing majority support for a yes vote. The First Minister added, That is the way we win independence, but also the way that we break the impasse on the right to choose. As a leader, there's a responsibility to be frank with people, and sometimes the hardest thing to do is to be frank with your own supporters. I want a referendum that is not just a gesture that allows us to make a point, but a referendum that can deliver us independence she told the host I appreciate that some people are impatient for independence I'm impatient for independence but what's most important of all is that we have a referendum that's legal legitimate and can actually deliver independence last week two SNP MPs Pete Wishart and Joanna Cherry clashed very publicly over the prospect of legislating for a new referendum without Westminster's approval Cherry has called for the Scottish Government to do so arguing that this would effectively force the UK government to take them to court and would then test the limits of the constitution. Wishart has suggested such a move would be high risk and a legal defeat would be harmful to their shared cause. Yesterday, the First Minister said the government may look at going to court, though she described that as not being her preferred option. Last week, there was renewed speculation about Sturgeon's future as First Minister. Unnamed sources... Told a BBC reporter that they thought she might have to fall on her sword over the summer. That a BBC journalist suggested could be because of the trial of Alex Salmond. The former First Minister, who denies all charges, is in court next month, charged with two incident assaults, 10 sexual assaults, and attempted rape, and a sexual assault with intent to rape. Legal restriction means that very little of the detail can be reported but the four-week trial which starts on March 9th is going to be a stressful event for the SNP. A Holyrood inquiry is also poised to investigate Sturgeon's role in a separate Scottish government probe into her predecessor, which cost taxpayers £500,000. When asked by Mara if she will remain in her position for the next few years, Sturgeon said, Yes, I hope so. All leaders should reflect on an ongoing basis. For me... Two conditions are needed for me to stay as leader. And I do intend to lead my party into the next Scottish Parliament election. You have to have the support not just of party but of country. I would say humbly that I've just led my party to another landslide election victory, winning 80% of the seats. But secondly, I have to be sure that I want to do this job. think I'm the best person to do this job, have the drive and energy, and that's emphatically the case. When either of these things cease to be the case, then that will be the time for me to move on and do those other things that I'm keen to do in my lifetime. That is not now and it is not imminent. Responding to the interview, Scottish toy leader Jackson Carlyle said, Senior Lieutenant in Sturgeon's party were fighting like ferrets in a sack to be the next leader of the SNP. The MSP was almost certainly alluding to the increasingly tense selection battle for Edinburgh Central being contested by Cherry and former Westminster leader Angus Robertson. The First Minister is clearly rattled, Carlow claimed. Everyone knows that it isn't feasible to have nuf 2 in 2020, but the First Minister will not rule out yet more constituency and legal wrangling. This article is by Andrew Learmonth.
3: If you are blind or partially sighted or know somebody who is, they may be eligible to receive a BWBF Sonata Plus internet radio where our daily podcasts are available. To qualify for a free permanent loan from BWBF, you need to be resident in the UK, registered blind or partially sighted, over the age of 8 and in receipt of a means-tested benefit or have a parent or guardian in receipt if you are under 18. If you think you qualify, you can find your local agent at www.blind.org.uk and remember, when setting up the player, ask for the Q&Review channels. Now, back to the main programme.
0: The National. Tuesday, February 25, 2020. Politics. One-fifth of Scots firms could close under UK immigration plan. Small businesses warned that the recruitment could be a struggle. This article is by Andrew Learmonth. One-fifth of all Scottish firms could go the wall or be forced to radically change their business model because of Boris Johnson's post-Brexit immigration plans. According to a new report, the small study by the Federation of Small Businesses in Scotland also revealed the companies here have had more difficulty recruiting staff compared to small firms south of the border. And 40% of the Scottish small employers have at least one EU worker on the books, an increase of 14% since 2017. By comparison, the UK average is 26%, an increase of 5% of the same period. Alistair Jack, the Secretary of State for Scotland, has insisted that the government's new points based immigration system would be good news for the Scottish economy. But ever since details of the proposals first emerged last Wednesday, they have been planned by terrified trade bodies and businesses, even his own party was reportedly livid at the proposals which would make it far harder for people from overseas to come and live and work in the UK and do jobs in industries such as fruit picking and agriculture, effectively only those skilled workers fluent in English with a promise of earning over £25,600 will score enough points to be able to come into the country. There will be some exceptions for industry where there is a shortage of workers, but they would still need to be earning at least £20,480. In their report, the FSB called for the government to offer would be migrants extra points for working in Scotland. They also suggested a separate advisor for remote parts of Scotland alongside other parts of the UK, as recommended by the Migration Advisory Committee and the Scottish government. The FSB also called for the creation of an additional route for migration in Scotland using the Scottish Income Tax Code, a scheme which would be designed and operated by the Home Office. They also said they needed to be an urgent review of the UK government's Innovator Advisor, which had just granted to just 14 individuals since its introduction last year. FSB's Scotland Policy Chair Andrew McRae said, there are now more than 100,000 EU workers in employment in cities, towns and villages across the country. Needless to say, the imminent introduction of a new way of hiring workers from outside the UK is a concerning prospect. Against a backdrop of weak economic growth, a buoyant labour market and an ageing population, it's critical that we get the post-Brexit immigration system right. The tight timescales mean there's no margin for error. Getting it wrong risks business closers. Romanian-born Ramona Oba Femi, who runs the Highlander Cafe in Aberdeen, said, It was very important for my business to be able to continue to hire the best person for the job. And more often than not, that applicants from foreign backgrounds. The SNP's Tom Arthur called for all MSPs to work together on the lobbying for a separate visa for Scotland. He said, This report lays bare the devastating impact that Toys' immigration plans will have for business owners in Scotland small businesses are the backbone of our economy and it's time for boris johnson to get his head out of the sand and listen to their needs before it's too late it's shameful that not a single scottish tory msp or mp can bring themselves to speak out against these plans that will force thousands of businesses north of the border to close their doors for good this article is by Andrew Learmonth. remember
3: this weekly digest program is just a selection of what we produce you can access more daily content online for free at QNReview.com forward slash free podcasts for free daily podcasts of The Herald Scotland and Evening Times and weekly digests of The National and Inside Soap magazine. Alternatively, you can access all of these services via a BWBF Sonata Plus internet radio player. Now back to the main programme The National. Wednesday, February 26,
2: 2020 Opinion Fight for independence won't be won in London This article is by Tashima Ahmed Sheikh Here's a super forecast to cheer you all up. The axis of self-interest between Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings could soon implode if rumours about the chaos at numbers 10 and 11 are anything to go by. Cabinet Secretary and Head of Civil Service Mark Sedwell has been called in to put the conduct of certain individuals under a microscope, with polite yet pointed reminders of what is and what is not expected of ministerial behaviour. And here's another super forecast for you it doesn't change anything for Scotland. What if the incredible happens and Johnson doesn't survive storms of his self made Brexit disaster? If Cummings' super ego spontaneously combusts and he flinches out of Downing Street to write his memoirs in a series of blogs. Or if the security risky Home Secretary Priti Patel is deemed a step too far for the safety of the UK and is packed off to a, be a peace envoy in the Middle East. If all this happens and other Conservatives step in to accrue the not so steady good ship Britannia, still nothing would be any different for Scotland. Well, it is now is not the time, Jason May style or flat out no from Boris Johnson, the next head of the UK government will not be inclined to grant Scots or free wishes a second referendum, independence and a return to Europe because no Tory MP wants to be remembered as overseeing the breakup of this increasingly disunited kingdom and the stronger the support for independence becomes, the less inclined they will be to risk the free wishes. Westminster is becoming an irrelevance in terms of progress for a nation. Despite strong voices for Scotland fighting for recognition, it ain't worth half a hill of beans against Johnson's great thumping majority where he can manage to keep his crown or not, just watch Parliament TV for 5 minutes and you'll see what I mean. It's a jungle in there for the Scots. So hashtag change must come indeed, but how will this change manifest itself? There have been lots of rumblings from independence supporters highlighting how absentationism has worked for Sinn Féin, whose rejection of Westminster as having any right of governance over Ireland and a refusal to participate as elected officials in the House of Commons has been in place for over a century now. As far as Sinn Féin are concerned, the Westminster does not act in the best interests of Ireland. In fact, it has actually worked against any of the best interests of Ireland, forcing Northern Ireland to Brexit against its voters' democratic wishes to remain of Europe, and despite the utter carnage it threatens to their economy, is just the most blatant recent example. Even the Democratic Unionist Party openly recognises that backstabbing Ireland is second nature to Westminster's politicians. The recent sacking of the Northern Irish Secretary Julian Smith. Was another indication of how little this UK government cares for the concerns of the Northern Irish people. Smith was largely responsible for bringing politicians back to Stormmount to start anew and was regarded highly on all sides of the political divide as robust but well-tuned in British politician. This is a rare accolade indeed in Northern Ireland. Listening to and reading some of the drivel in the British media about Ireland, it's easy to see why Sinn Féin believes that Ireland's best interests are served at home. Watching Johnson and his Brexit-negotiating crack-team make a dog's dinner of the previously agreed Irish Protocol is another obvious example of disregard and lack of care. Ireland's cause wasn't always progressed by the absentationism of Sinn Féin. At the height of Charles Stewart's powers, he held Westminster in the palm of his hand through his control of the Irish parliamentary party, but times changed and Sinn Féin swept the 1918 election and instead of decamping to Westminster set up the Dale Arian. Now the 21st century Scotland is not the 20th century Ireland, the SNP is not about to become an abstentionist party, nor need it. However, there has to be recognition that the relative political weight placed on Westminster and Scotland has to change. SNP MPs will recognise that popping up on the campaign trail in Scotland will add more to the Scottish cause than bobbing up and down on the green benches. If that crystallises into Scottish Convention anchored on the elected parliamentary pre- representatives of Scotland then so much the better. My former colleague, SNP MP Joanna Cherry QC, is therefore right when she said this week Scotland will continue to be ignored at Westminster. The m- movement for Scotland to be an independent European nation can only be realised from Hollywood. Amen to that, the fight for sovereignty will not be won from SW1, We need to shift our gaze, regroup, reframe, an argument outside of and beyond Westminster. We have the right to determine our future. We have the right to make democratic choices that are neither ignored or shrugged off by a bigger partner, because in Scotland, size matters. We may be small, but we've got big ambitions. And none of them involve an archaic political system that we've outgrown and feels spectacularly to represent our best interests. Change must come, and it needs to come at home. It's either that or we're trapped in an unequal partnership characterised by negativity and indifference. I think the people know that the real fight is for Scotland and that it's best conducted it with home advantage.
1: This article is by Tashima Ahmed Sheik. This is The National on the 27th of February 2020. Boris Johnson Urged to Help End Humanitarian Catastrophe in Syria by Angus Cochrane. Ian Blackford is calling on Boris Johnson to urgently take action to help secure a ceasefire in Syria as the crisis in Idlib escalates. The northwestern city has become the epicentre of what the UK's largest Syria focused aid agency, Syria Relief, has described as a humanitarian catastrophe. Approximately one million Syrians, primarily women and children, have fled to the region to escape heavy fighting in other parts of the country. They are facing extremely low temperatures and the threat of bombardment in overcrowded camps on the Syria-Turkey border, with reports emerging of infants freezing to death. Blackford recently raised the displacement and reports of babies dying due to extreme cold during Prime Minister's questions and has now written to Johnson describing the human cost for the continuation of this unsustainable situation as morally untenable. The letter also calls on the Prime Minister to release urgent funding for humanitarian groups working in the region. The SNP Westminster leader commented, My message to the Prime Minister is simple. It's time to act now. The humanitarian crisis in Syria is at a crisis point, Hundreds of thousands of lives have been lost and many more displaced. Infrastructure has been destroyed and people are left desperate for food, water and shelter. The SNP MP's demand comes after the UN Special Envoy for Syria, Gir Pedersen, warned last week that there is a clear potential for further mass displacement and even more catastrophic human suffering. Blackford continued. It is morally untenable for this unsustainable situation to continue. The human cost alone should shame us all. It's time for Boris Johnson to step up to his responsibilities and secure a ceasefire at this crucial moment. He added, The SNP has raised the plight of Syrians caught up in the conflict with the Prime Minister innumerable times but securing access for humanitarian groups working in the region to provide aid to those in need could not be more pressing. The conflict has claimed more than 380,000 lives since civil war erupted in 2011. This week, the UK Permanent Representative to the UN, Karen Pierce, called for an immediate, genuine and lasting ceasefire. And that article
0: was by Angus Cochrane the national tuesday february 25 2020 news kids under 12 banned from heading ball new rules introduced following scottish research into impact on footballers this article is by mro tool children under 12 are to be banned from heading the ball in training sessions the scottish football association has announced A graduated approach will be introduced for children aged 12 to 17 with limits on the amount of heading allowed. It comes after the University of Glasgow-led field study showed former footballers were three and a half times more likely to die of neurodegenerative disease than age-matched members of the general population. There will be no change in terms of heading in matches taking into consideration the extremely limited number of headers that actually occur in youth games. The football associations of Scotland, England and Northern Ireland all issued statements on Monday confirming changes to their heading guidance which will be introduced immediately. Ian Maxwell, SFA Chief Executive said, while it is important to re-emphasize there is no research to suggest that heading in younger age groups was a contributory factor in the findings of the field study into professional footballers nevertheless Scottish football has a duty of care to young people their parents and those responsible for their well-being throughout youth football. The updated guidelines are designed to help coaches remove repetitive and unnecessary heading from youth football in the earliest years with a phased introduction at an age group considered most appropriate by our medical experts. It's important to reassure that heading is rare in youth football matches, but we are clear that the guidelines should mitigate any potential risks. We will also look to monitor and review the guidance as part of our commitment to making the national game a safe environment for young people. The new guideline states heading should not be introduced in training sessions from the age of 6 to 11 and should be considered a low coaching priority between the age of 12 to 15. Although training sessions can be introduced, there should be limited to one session of no more than five headers per week at 13 years increasing to 10 headers per session at 14 and 15. For 16 and 17-year-olds, it is recommended heading should be restricted to one training session and that coaches should be mindful of limiting repetitions during that session. Dr. Willie Stewart, consultant, neuropathologist and honorary clinical associate professor at the University of Glasgow and leader of the field study said, I'm encouraged to see these changes being made by FA, SFA and nifau football a lot more research is needed to understand the factors contributing to increased risk in of neurodegenerative disease in footballers meanwhile it is sensible to act to reduce exposure to the only recognized risk factor so far as such measures to reduce exposure to unnecessary head impacts and risk of head injury in sports are a local step this article is by emma o'toole
3: Visually impaired people are being invited to see if they are eligible for a free, specially adapted radio from a charity. The British Wireless for the Blind Fund, BWBF, provides the equipment to those with sight loss around the UK who meet its criteria. Radio is a lifeline to those who are blind and partially sighted, providing companionship and helping them to keep in touch with what's going on in the world, as well as in the local community. BWBF offers equipment free of charge to those who have sight loss and are in receipt of a means-tested benefit. BWBF is launching its Reaching Out campaign to try and increase awareness about their equipment and help more people who are blind and partially sighted. Our regional development manager Sophie Weldon said, Our radios are designed so that a person with sight loss can use them easily and independently. All equipment is delivered to the home by a volunteer who sets it all up and provides support in using it. We offer a range of equipment, digital radios, CD players, memory stick players, internet radio and even a specially designed app. Our radios are vital to someone who cannot see. They provide news, information, and entertainment, but also, more importantly, companionship and a friendly service. If you or someone you know is interested in a BWBF radio, please contact Sophie Weldon at sophie at blind.org.uk, that is S O P H I E at blind.org.uk, or phone 01283 790 208. That's 1283 or on 7540 thats is To find out more about the British Wireless for the Blind Fund, follow us on Twitter at British Wireless, like us on Facebook, or go to blind.org.uk. Now, back to the main
0: programme. The National. Monday. 24th of february 2020 opinion snp mps now need to spend more time on the home front this article is by ruth wishart typical you wait for one snp heavyweight to challenge ruth davidson's edinburgh hollywood seat and two come along at the same time in an ideal world both angus robertson and joanna cherry taking their place at hollywood will be a cause for a celebration two seasoned campaigners two Intellectually gifted performers, two committed champions of Scottish independence. But since the world is far from ideal, two undoubted assists pitching for one vacancy. Already with barely disguised glee, the Scottish government's opponents, not least those in the media, are painting this as Salmondites versus Sturgeonistas. Cherry being a long-standing pal of Alex and Robertson, a vocal supporter of Nicola. Depressed? You will be. Especially if the two seats of supporters start unhelpful briefings about the rival candidates. Just don't. Seen in the best possible light, the tussle could be considered an indication that the SNP are behaving like any other mainstream party with a large and diverse membership. It has fault lines and factionalism. Looked at more disappointingly. You want to scream, get a bloody grip. News of the heavyweight challenge for the Edinburgh Central candidacy comes at the end of a period in which the debate over next moves on IndyRef 2 and especially the pace of those has intensified. We also have a parallel scuffle over how best to maximise the number of pro-Indy MSPs on the list vote next May. Add to that, even louder mutterings over the future of an articulate first minister who has committed the apparently unpardonable sin of being widely admired on the UK and European stage. All of these issues have the potential to be massively destabilising to the yes movement. Conversely some of them can be utilized positively if anyone with a genuine interest in winning independence can keep their eyes firmly on that prize. Securing Scotland's statehood matters comprehensively more than individual egos or different shades of game plans. It certainly matters more than personal ambition and plotting. Being human, we all have our own procedures, but hand on heart, I can say that I greatly admire what Alex Salmon did for the cause of independence and greatly admire Nicola Sturgeon's manifold talents. I have huge respect for what Cherry has done in using her legal skills to skewer the Westminster government. And what Robertson has done to professionalize yes campaigning. It's not a football match. We don't have to take sides when ultimately we're on the same one. There are important debates to be had. Of course, there are. I'm not persuaded that a discreet new indie party is a smart idea, but I'm wholly behind inclusive attempts to ensure that we, the wider yes movement, are able to use our list vote to get as many pro indie MSPs into Holyrood as is possible. I know that some of the political purists are already clutching their pearls at the thought of making common cause with less folks, less fundamentalists than themselves. Perhaps their manifesto seems more important than their country's future. It's not. Whatever the government says, both votes SNP. It's not a tactic that has served the cause well. Indeed, it has merely inflated opposition numbers given that parties who do well at constituency level harvest few list seats. We need to be more strategic than this. We need to know in each constituency which second vote will deliver the best chance of a pro-indie list seat. This may be hearsay. in some quarters too bad. There is little chance of anybody but the SNP being the largest party by a country mile. And if they have to work in tandem with others to form a majority government, then that is the price of A fairer voting system. First past the post has brought us a government of all the talentless in Westminster. The Edinburgh Central situation, however, raises wider questions about Hollywood and Westminster and the relationship of both to the independence movement. When the UK government was stumbling about with no majority and only a bride-laden agreement with the Unlovely DUP keeping it afloat. The SNP troops in the Commons had a real sense of purpose and real clout. They were helped in this by the fact that the so-called official opposition was to be charitable serially underwhelming while the Lib Dems were going through managers faster than the average Premier League footy team. The SNP were a minority party, but regularly able to punch well above their weight. The December election has changed that. Last week I was chairing an event with former Speaker John Burkow and he observed that the first law of opposition is to make sure you don't give the government what it most wants. Johnson then baiting 0 out of 6 in Commons votes got the poor he craved. The fact that the unhappy result was largely down to Labour's, poor campaign and utterly confused messaging is little comfort. So Scotland now has 47 SNP MPs, one independent, one Labour, six Tories, and four Lib Dems. Only the SNP Independent, Neil Hanvey, support independence. And frankly, with an AEC Tory majority and the Labour Party too busy with a months-long leadership battle to raise its eyes above its internal fray, four dozen SNP MPs are pretty impotent. Worse than that... They and most especially Westminster leader Ian Blackford are treated like tar and trash. In short we have a large cohort of mostly talented people arguably operating in the wrong forum. Now the House of Parliament have a strange effect on some people. They enter the hallowed portals they have once vowed metaphorically to tear down and they go a bit native get a bit comfortable, get a nice wee conceit of themselves. This is especially true of the Lords where a bit of I ermine mean can they radicalize all manner of former dissident but there is a variant of that strain in the comments, and I doubt that all of the SNP contingent is immune I would urge them all to consider spending much more time in Scotland campaigning and spreading the word unless in a chamber where self-evidently they're pleased on behalf of their constituencies are falling on deaf ears. Battle has been joined here and your country needs you. This article is by Ruth Wishart. The National, Wednesday, February 26, 2020. Politics.
2: Half of voters want India 2 in the next five years. Poll finds yes is unstoppable. This article is by Emir O'Toole. There is an unstoppable momentum. For independence, as a new poll finds more than half of the voters in Scotland want India Ref 2 in the next five years. The YouGov poll found that 55% of voters think Boris Johnson should not stand in the way of another independence referendum by 2025, while only 27% think this should not be the case. With the momentum firmly behind the independence movement, the figures are also suggesting that the outcome of a referendum would be too close to call. Part of the survey which was conducted between February 7th and February 14th and involved 2,587 Scottish adults, it was released last week by former Labour PM Gordon Brown. That showed only 16% of people regarded Scotland as a united country and 51% thought it had some divisions or was deeply divided. Of those who thought it was divided, 50% said the SNP was responsible, followed by Nicola Sturgeon, 49%, and the prospect of a second independence referendum, 41%. In answer to the question, if another Scottish independence referendum were held today, how would you vote? 45% of respondents said yes, 46% no, 6% said they would not vote, and 2% said they were not registered to vote. Once the don't knows and non-voters are removed, the figures are just over 50.5% for no and just below 49.5% for yes. I asked if there is a second independence referendum, when when should it be held? Only 17% of people and just 37% of the SNP voters said immediately, and only 23% of all people and 37% of SNP voters said 2021 or 2022 after the next Hollywood election. A fifth, 21% of SNP supporters and 15% of all people said within the next 5 years, 17% of all people said within the next 20 years and 27% ignoring the question said never. Professor Sir John Curtis of Strathclyde University and What Scotland Thinks blog said the poll also showed Brexit had reshaped the voting intentions on independence. Of those who voted yes in 2014 and voted to leave in 2016, more than a third, 34%, said they would now vote no to independence. The SNP position is to rejoin the EU after independence. More than a quarter of the voters, 27%, who voted no in 2014 and remain in 2016, have now moved towards supporting independence. Professor Curtis noted, The latter group were far more numerous than the former, helping now support up for independence. SNP Deputy Leader Keith Brown said the Tories are running scared of democracy. He said, There is an unstoppable momentum behind a fresh independence referendum. Scotland has been dragged out of the EU against our will by the Tory government and the Prime Minister who have no mandate here, a government which says it doesn't matter, one jot what Scotland's parliament decides. The Tories are running scared of a democracy but their opposition to a referendum is completely unsustainable. The SNP won a landslide victory at the general election on cast iron mandate to hold an independence referendum. Boris Johnson's contempt for Scotland knows no bounds. He added the more Boris Johnson tries to ignore Scotland's democratic mandate to choose our own future, the more support for a fresh referendum and for independence itself will continue to grow. This
1: article is by Amir Otoo. This is The National on the 27th of February 2020. Harris Tweed Business Weaves Pathway to Success After Support by Hannah Carmichael. A South Harris-based textile business has been able to renovate new premises and increase on-island production, thanks to -to one-to-one support from Business Gateway. Borisdale Tweed, which was founded by Carol Graham and Rob English in 2017, specialises in the design, manufacture and retail of exclusive high-quality homewares and accessories using locally woven Harris Tweed. The couple gave up their corporate jobs to launch both Borisdale Tweed and Sound of Harris after falling in love with the island following a short break. Graham and English combined their previous industrial and academic experience in textile engineering and colour chemistry plus their passion for their new home to create products that have been a hit with the island's locals and visitors alike. The business started off as a pop-up shop next to their weaving shed but has since doubled its turnover year on year and significantly exceeded its projected turnover for 2019. Business Gateway was able to help Borisdale Tweed with one-to-one sessions from a business advisor, funding advice and an introduction to Highlands and Islands Enterprise. It also supported the firm's successful application to the European Regional Development Fund, grants for growth funding, from which Borisdale Tweed was awarded £20,000 in funding and was able to renovate a building in the south of Harris. English said, Business Gateway support has been invaluable to our business. Although I was successful with ERDF funding in my previous academic roles, the input helped clarify our strategy to expand through a move to a larger premises in Leverborough. This included a focus on training and sustainability to the effect that I now have a site management qualification and we were able to project manage the renovation ourselves. We are now also almost zero waste with regard to the use of cloth in the manufacture of our products. The grant enabled us to turn the former post office in Leverborough into bespoke premises, which ultimately helped us to achieve our main objective of providing exclusive, high-quality products made in the Outer Hebrides. And that article was by
0: Hannah Carmichael. The National. Tuesday, February 25th, 2020. News. Old laptop sparks fire at Invergordon School. Council bans staff from using similar machines. This article is by Andrew Leomont. An old laptop has been blamed for a fire that tore through a primary school in the Highlands. Pupils and staff were evacuated from Park Primary School in Invergordon shortly after 10am on Monday. More than 50 firefighters tackled the blaze with nine fire engines, a height, appliance and several supporting resources sent to the scene. The Scottish Fire and Rescue Service, SFRS, said the damage to the school is significant. There were no reports of any injuries. In a statement, the local authorities said that as a precautionary measure they were banning staff from using machines similar to the one potentially responsible for sparking the blaze a spokesperson said we are awaiting the outcome of scottish fire and rescue services investigation into the fire but we understand it might have originated from an old laptop as a precaution we are asking all staff using these older models not to use them until further notice the statement added plans are in place to provide temporary school accommodation at Invergordon Academy for the primary pupils and staff before the end of the week. There are 186 children at the Park Primary School, including 32 nursery pupils and 343 pupils enrolled at the Academy, which has a capacity of 550. SFRS Area Commander Rab Middlemiss said, there has been a very challenging incident and crews have been working throughout the day in difficult conditions to bring this fire under control. We have attempted to surround the fire as much as possible, tackling the flames from outside and inside the buildings to try to prevent further damage. The damage to the school is significant, however. We will remain in attendance for as long as it takes to ensure this fire is fully extinguished. He added, I would urge members of the public to stay clear of the area to allow access for the emergency services. My thanks goes to our partners and the community for their ongoing support, the quick action of the school staff in ensuring a safe evacuation and our firefighters for their continued efforts and dedication. Scottish Greens Highlands and Islands MSP John Finney praised staff and the fire service but said lessons needed to be learned. He said, I'm relieved that all pupils and staff were evacuated from the school and welcome confirmation from the Highland Council that alternative Accommodation will be provided at Invergordon Academy. Early reports suggested that an old laptop may be the cause of the fire and while it is vital that appropriate investigation takes place, it is important that the council ensure lessons are learned and shared with other schools across the Highlands and beyond as soon as practically possible. Council leader Margaret Davidson praised staff at the school for their quick, safe and efficient actions after the fire had been discovered. This article is by Andrew Leomont. Q
3: and Review Print Speaking to the Blind are a charity based in Bishop Briggs. We're currently looking to recruit volunteer access to audio ambassadors in Eastern Bartonshire to place leaflets and business cards at businesses, shops and amenities in the area and to show the public how to listen to daily and weekly online articles from The Herald Scotland, Evening Times, The National and Inside Soap magazine for free. If you would like to volunteer and become an access to audio ambassador, Please contact Michael Rankin on 0141 772 3976 or email aaatl at qandreview.com. That's triple a t l at qandreview.com. In addition, we are also recruiting for volunteer readers and technicians. If you're interested in reading or technically supporting a recording team, please contact us on 0141 772 3976 or email information at QnReview.com. Details of all of our volunteering opportunities are available on our website at QnReview.com. Thank you. Now,
0: back to the main programme. The National. Tuesday, February 25, 2020. Opinion. Pato's version of the future is bleak. And here's why it's doomed to fail skilled or unskilled the truth is that the rate of technological advancement will likely make it indefinable this article is by michael fry one man i regret i never met was nabar galpinkine he died in 1972 while i was still a young whippersnapper among the richest people in the world he came of a line of american entrepreneurs who took part in an important part in the early exploitation of oil in the Middle East. Yet the role he liked to play was that of an eccentric gentleman with his silken cravat, diamond pin and big cigar. Fabulously wealthy as his family were, their most permanent monument lies in their philanthropy. The foundation set up by Kaloust Galpinkind Nabar's father using an endowment of 3 billion euros to aid the arts, science and education on a global scale. During the Second World War, Calouste served as an Iranian and therefore neutral diplomat in Paris. Exploiting his father's immunity, Nabar organized an underground railway for RAF pilots who had survived getting shot down over France and could be smuggled home again. If he had been caught, he would no doubt have headed straight to a concentration camp, but he was too clever for the Nazis. Yet to me, Nabar is still more memorable for his definition of a government evening The best number for a dinner party is two, myself and a damn good waiter. It reminds us that only in the culture of the English-speaking world, and in particular in the present UK government, can a waiter's job ever be regarded as a menial one. True his, feeling fades as you rise up the social scale to vanish in restaurants of the highest culinary quality and seeking staff to match. But there is an effect when expectations are lower. In Scotland, for example, our standards are still often slovenly in line with much of the food. In my view, it is one of the big problems with our tourist industry, ingrained rather than affected by the inanities of visit Scotland. Yet, go to, say, Martin Wishart or Ondine, and you will see how things should be done. Compare the Latin nations, France or Italy or Spain where an expert manner and a fund of specialist information are universal qualifications for a waiter in attendance at a good table. Once in a French restaurant, I asked what sauce Chorin was. It's a tomato-flavored sauce with berenice or herby hollandise. The waiter gave me a full explanation, including instructions of how to stop it, curdling if that should threaten. In the Gaelic way, his profession was to him a matter of pride, not least for the encounters it afforded him with knowledgeable customers to their mutual pleasure and satisfaction. That's what you can call a skill. All this is by way of introduction to the subject of the ghastly home secretary, Pretty Patel. If she tries to treat her senior civil servants as doormats to be wrung out and hung up to dry when too wet, heaven knows she behaves herself in a restaurant or with any lesser mortals in between. But then this is a woman who had she been applying her proposed rules and regulations to the Ugandan Asians when they suffered exclusion by President Adi Amin in 1972, would have kept her own father out of the UK. Almost worse still is the smug smirk with which she delivers her shattering banalities. We can only assume Boris has put her in his cabinet so he can throw her to the wolves when things are a bit tougher for him than they are now. The Prime Minister has one basic idea of government, that he will take measures to promote his own popularity, especially among English voters, which by extension will promote the popularity of the Tory party, therefore cut immigration. It is not a profound idea and perhaps somewhere in the recesses of Dominic Cummings' brain there is a better one. For example, the shortage of labour likely to result from tire immigration controls could force employers to raise the productivity of the workforce they already employ, with new technology or other investment. Yet there are important economic sectors that depend and must always depend on being labour intensive, hospitality is one, agriculture and social care are two more. No technology exists or can exist to make it easier to pick strawberries. These have to be harvested. One by one and two by two, at the hands of human beings with nimble fingers. No technology exists to make it easier to empty bed pens in an old folks' home. These have to be cleaned one by one and two by two, at the hands of carers with strong stomachs. It does not seem to me to matter much whether we define these employees as skilled or unskilled. The fact is, they do jobs nobody else will do. At the moment, most of them are foreigners. Who will take the same jobs when the Poles or the Romanians are banned from our shores. I suspect there will be nobody to take these jobs. At the point or at different points in different sectors Patel's pretty system will start breaking down. The Tory party has won over lots of new voters in England but it would not have gained an absolute majority without its traditional support. This includes a big lead among people aged over 65 who are besides a growing part of the population. Even in my distant days as a toy candidate, before I saw the light and switched to supporting the SNP essential campaign, the pit stops were any old folks' homes that happened to be in the constituency. Usually it was a high point of the social calendar in the residents, otherwise rather monotonous existences. If you showed enough sympathy for their complaints, then you were likely to fortify them in their tendency to vote Tory especially as you could offer them lifts in big cars to the polling station so putting one over on every other party. Imagine the future under Patel without foreign staff in nursing homes frail pensioners will fail to get the care they need they will complain if they see a Tory candidate and I forecast there will be hundreds of candidates telling the prime minister to get his or her finger out. When that happens, I forecast further that the unskilled carers will miraculously transition into skilled bedpan executives Welcome to the UK with open arms. Patto will have failed. The fact is that the rate of change in the labour market is speeding up rather than slowing down, rendering the distinction between skilled and unskilled flexible to say the least and probably no longer definable. The rate of change will accelerate for the rest of the 21st century and beyond. Jobs which once seemed secure and well-paid will turn insecure and badly paid. My own profession of journalism has been an early case in point. Up to now, the seamless supply chains and markets of the growing and integrating EU markets have smoothed this roller coaster ride. That is why the UK has seen heavy immigration. We have come to rely on the skills and flexibility afforded by the vast European labour pool. We will all suffer as it dries up. This article is by Michael Fry.